0: Welcome back to the conversation here at the right side, T-R-S-I. Today we're having a chat with Dermot Dorgan. And Dermot is speaking on behalf of the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group, which is a group which advocates for, I think it's Zero COVID Island, Ireland. Dermot, best in this situation, I think, to ask you, what are Independent Scientific ad- the Advisory Group actually advocating for?
1: first of all we've we've been well thanks for having me by the way um, it's good to be here um, and thanks for giving me the opportunity just to, to talk about this um, I think primarily what we're presenting is a a framework a it's a flexible framework it's a way of looking at the country that allows us to um, to get to from you know where we are now um, with cases i suppose we're kind of at a low at the moment of being that we we're, we're just coming into christmas now but we all know the way this is gonna go. They've they're down at trough at the moment, they're gonna go back up again. You know, what do we do when they go back up again? Do we go into another phenophilia lockdown? Uh, which is, you know, not too harsh and, you know, a nicer, friendlier, more community-based lockdown than a than a Fianna lockdown, but you know, it just leaves us at the top of the sine wave and then we go down to the bottom of the sine wave again, and then we go back up again. And it's it's it leaves us in this frustrating, disorientating. Nauseating almost um, environment where there's no certainty, there's no clarity for businesses, for households. It's, um, it really is, um, it's really just kind of mess with your head and it doesn't make for a very you know, cohesive, happy, healthy society. And so, where we're starting the conversation is well, surely there's a better way than this? If there is, what does
0: it look like? As I was reading, your, your, shall we say, the supporting materials. Uh, before this and you the organization basically seems to think there are three different approaches to this problem that are how do you see how would you characterize what we've seen so far and how would you characterize the approach that you would advocate
1: I'd say so far has been a very irish response i think we've um i'd describe it as perhaps unfairly as as taking the path of least resistance you know i think either side of it the debate so far has been you you kind of had one side the like the natural herd immunity, or Great Barrington, um, group who wants us to, you know, I don't want to say let it rip because there's there's more probably to their position than than um, it would be, it would be unfair to describe it as just you know forget about everything and just give up. But you know, if I'm going to parody it, I'd say it's a bit like giving up. Um, on the other side, you've had so far a lot of talk about elimination and zero COVID and more restrictions, and ISAC has been in that, and I think we've we've suffered for that a little bit as being typecast as just. You know, we just want more restrictions. Um, I've made that point within the group. I mean, we're a group of scientists. Roughly, I'm not exactly a scientist. But, you know, it is an open group and you can criticise. And um, I'm representing ISAG today, but also kind of myself as well. And so on the other side, we've, we've kind of been typecast as the, the more restrictions guys, the grinches. Um, but in the middle is then where, where we are now with, with um, the living with the virus. And I think it's kind of a misnomer in a way. You can't really live with this virus. It, it's, it's a nice idea to talk about balance and kind of taking, you know, the kind of the center path and not too much of this and not too much of that or the other. But fundamentally we're in a situation where the only way we get out of this is if we solve the problem. You know, you have to get rid of the virus.
0: Okay. So what because is zero COVID?
1: Zero COVID is in the first place you get to a point where you have eliminated community transmission of the virus. And what I would distinguish there is you can still have cases turning up. You could get to zero community transmission, but you still have the odd case turning up in um, within quarantine facilities where you've, you've taken people out of the population who are infected or who are at risk, who are a close contact of someone who, was, who has a confirmed case. You put them into an isolation facility. Sure, they may end up becoming um, COVID positive, but if they're isolated, then they're not spreading it within the community. And so the first goal is to, to get to a position where you are... You're confident because there is a a kind of a catch in this, Um, but you're confident that you have got to a point where the community transmission is down to is is eliminated. That's really what you're you're talking about eliminating, and the way you would know that, or the way you could be confident with that, is that if you had within whether it's a county, whether it's whatever the region is, that that area has gone about 14 days without a confirmed case. Mm-hmm. Of community community transmission. Once you get to that point, then you can start being confident that yeah, you really have eliminated or eradicated the virus.
0: We'll come back to that. But for the time so roughly what, what would the shape of this feel like? If you just, okay, me old Martin rings you up tomorrow and said, Right, lads, I'm sick and tired an effort. The love is gone. We just we're not feel we're not feeling it anymore. You have at it. What would this look like? What would the the plan looked like for for zero COVID? I suppose in its...
1: I said before that it's a framework and there are options within that that framework and I'll, I'll talk about them. I suppose in its crudest, most basic format, right? And this is like the starting point of how you think about it. You would... It would be... It would involve a strict lockdown. There's no way of getting away from that. Whatever path we take from here, there are going to be lockdowns. There are going to be testing. We're going to spend money where there'll be gnashing of teeth. There will be pain and people won't be happy because that's, that's baked in. That's going to happen. The question is whether we you know, we use it for good or whether we just go around in circles. And so with this plan, in its most basic form, you would say, right, you would go to lockdown. You would lock down the entire country, which I know sounds horrible right now, and it, I don't even like saying it, but in its most basic format, you would lock down every part of the country. You would have each county in its own bubble, and then you would work to to eliminate the virus within each county within each bubble. And then as that happened, and we can talk about how you do that, as that happens and as counties gradually get to their zero case days and they, they eliminate community transmission, at that point, they would open up. But they would still be in a bubble. If they were bordering another county that had also got to 14 days without community transmission, then those two counties would join together and they'd form a bigger bubble. And so this process would go on as counties clear, they join together, they form bigger bubbles, And gradually, this big, if you like, green zone or this green bubble ends up covering the whole island. That is the idea in its most basic form, in its crudest form. There are more bells and whistles that we can add on to that. Okay,
0: so, but just the the lockdown, is there any way in which your lockdown would be different to the lockdowns we've experienced up to now?
1: So I, I'd categorise the, the the lockdowns as Fianna Fáil lockdowns and Fianna Gael lockdowns, and so the Fianna Gael lockdown, we know that you know what that's going to be like. That's going to be strict and it's going to be harsh, and you know they'll come back when cases are down at zero, and it's just sort of left to you. The Fianna Fáil lockdown, I have to say, I was um, the first day of uh, of that lockdown. I was out. Uh, I just went for a cycle, just kind of around the area, and I went through a a uh, leafy South Dublin suburb where. It was just it was chock a block. There were people everywhere. <laughs> it was just like there was no there was no lockdown at all. And it kind of stopped and, and, and for me, it gave me a, a kind of an indication of what Fina Fall are about, really, because I've never really got to know them at all. And so it was a it was a nicer lockdown. It was a welcome change, but but ultimately it's not the kind of lockdown that's going to get you to zero COVID. And that's why it's been so slow. The numbers have been so slow coming down, is that ultimately you do need the strictness there. Um so, this, go
0: ahead. Sorry, specifically, with specific policy measures, sure. in what way would that differentiate itself? From the lockdown we've just come out of, what was not in that that should have been in it?
1: Uh, the the FIFA one? Yeah. Yeah. So two things. One, a goal. There was no goal at the end of it. It was just, well, we're going to do this until the first and hopefully cases are going to be low below 100 and cases were nowhere near 100 and we still opened up again.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's no
1: real goal to that. Um I think the go- or rather, there was no public health goal the goal was to be able to get down to a low enough level that we'd be able to enjoy Christmas which I You're appreciate right. and I like that idea it's nice but mm-hmm. it's not a public health outcome and it's not going to solve the problem fundamentally okay. the other extreme was was with with Fine Gael was that the strictness was there the strictness that we needed to get it to get uh, community transmission down was there but it was just you know it was Fine Gael, there was it was it was harsh there was no attempt to kind of soften it and also there was no goal at the end of it if there had been a goal of elimination, then there would have been a, you know, there's a target, there's a process that gets us there, we can sign up to that and we can know when we've achieved our goal and people can know the length of, the amount of time that they're, that they're going to have to make sacrifices for. When you don't have a target at the end of it, when you don't have a specific plan for getting to that goal, well then you're left in a situation where we are now with, with so much uncertainty about just everything pretty much, you know, and that, and that uncertainty is such a painful such a painful thing to have to deal with um, for businesses, for people, et cetera.
0: Okay, that's great. But so I'm still trying to understand, say, for example, in this scenario, would schools be closed?
1: In, from getting from where we are now to where we need to be, which is zero COVID, then in that strict lockdown period, yes, schools will be closed. Everything, everything will be down to an absolute minimum. The stricter you are within the lockdown period, the shorter the lockdown will be. And the shorter the lockdown, the lower the burden on the people, which is a a key point in all of this, is that you have to, with this lockdown, any plan has got to start with the people involved, include them in the planning process, find out what, what are their local... Um, situations. What is? What are the, the kind of the corner cases? At a general rule, great. You've got a general framework and it works. Right, cool. Now you need to go to the next level of analysis and you need to go to communities and say, okay, well, what's going on here? If we if we have a border here, because at some point, if when you're doing lockdowns, when you're doing bubbles, you have got to draw a line somewhere. And it, nobody, it, there's going to be no perfect lines. Some people will miss out. And so the more you talk to people, the more you can find out those cases and, and build their scenario into the plan.
0: Okay, schools will be closed. We say you say it'll be much stricter, but let's look, say, at, um, at South Leinster, right? It's the largest population centre in the country. You have Meath, Kildare, Wicklow, Carlow, North Wexford. You have tens of thousands of people who commute in and out of Dublin every day to work. Would that be happening under this scenario?
1: No, I mean I I come at it from a purely like my background is in risk. It's yes. in numbers. I would be coming at it from a pure risk perspective. No, they wouldn't. There, when there's a lockdown, there's a lo- if you're going to do a lockdown, do it properly. Do it properly, get it right, and then you don't have to do it again. And so okay. for that period, for a lot of counties, which would be a you know, four, five, six-week period, then that would be the case.
0: So for this period, schools will be, primary secondary schools would be closed. Universities, presumably, would be closed. Childcare facilities. You would have, if you couldn't work distantly, then you wouldn't be working, yeah. unless you're working locally. What kind of retail would be open?
1: Absolute minimum. If we can organize, if we can organize ways that that people are um, that people can get deliveries, uh, that would be much preferred. Um, if we can get more communities working together to ensure that people who are isolated can get whatever they need, it might be you know it might be heating oil, or it might be you know like something to keep them warm in the winter. It might not just be food. Um, the more that we can engage people within that community to take responsibility for those things, the better. Um, with regards to, to people not working as well, I'd say part of the condition on this, and it's an assumption if you like, is that the government is absolutely providing the supports, the financial supports that need to be given both to individuals and to businesses to ensure that this lockdown period is like a pause. We're pressing pause, pause on those businesses, pause on, the, on people's livelihoods. You go back to that once the, once the lockdown is done once we've cleared the virus you go straight back to your life so i am assuming that there are that there are extra supports there
0: yeah we'll we'll, we'll come back we'll come back to that so retail will be very will be very limited what about human interaction i mean household mixing whatever to what extent and how, how far outside my house would I, I i know i was talking to friends of mine who in italy and uh at the height there. Strictest lockdown moment, I think they were allowed to be within 100 metres of their apartment building unless they were going to do food shopping. Um, you absolutely, nobody could go to anybody else, else's house. There was no household mixing, etc. What kind of situation are we looking at with this? I
1: think you have to, you know, a huge parts of the country have been, have had relatively low incidents, incidences of of the disease. And, you you know, you take the Carlo, uh, Kenny, Meet from Sligo, Kerry, a lot of these places have had, you know, it it doesn't take that much to get them down to zero, you know, and it really doesn't take that kind of intrusive level of of management. I say I'm strict, absolutely I'm strict, but when we're talking about, you know, measuring meters from people's houses, I think you've, you're kind of at that point, you need to, you need to recognize that one, you either you get the policy better at the top, or B, you accept the policy what it is as, as it is what it is, and that you you say to people, look, this is up to you at this point. We trust that this is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we're going to do it. The better you guys stick to it, you know, the 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 better it'll go, the quicker it'll be. And that you 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 trust people a bit and say, look, you know, trying to stop people have a conversation over their, their fence with their neighbours mm-hmm. that's just insanity. Like, you know, when you're when you're at the point where you're giving that guidance as a policymaker, you need to take a
0: step back. Like, that's, that's too much. Okay. So, we have this hard lockdown. It will... If I'm understanding you correctly, the, the, the harder the lockdown, the quicker the numbers come down. You want the transmission... Community transmission is what you're primarily interested in. Now, that will happen at different rates in different places. And a lot of that will obviously be to do with population densities and other various factors. So, the but the, the number that you'll be looking for is that period of around 14 days of zero community transmission, at which point a county, and I know, for example, my own county of Wexford had reached that moment um, after the, 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 the first wave. Uh, I'm sure that was true of Leitrim. I think it's probably true of Watford. It would have been true at, at different times, different places. We then go into the bubble. Uh, we are now a green zone. Is that right? What, what happens when you've done that in, you, you, in your bubble? What, how Does life change? So, okay, we're in Wexford. Uh, we've achieved this period of 14 days of, non, of n- non-transmission. Uh, what happens then?
1: At that point, you start to gradually reopen again. And I guess you start with the least, with low-risk areas. Like you don't just suddenly flick a switch and then all the pubs and everything and everything's open. You want to be take it carefully. Also, I remember from the lockdown as well. People weren't people aren't going to go flying out of their houses after six weeks of lockdown. You kind of give it a you know a few days. You gradually you know adjust, and that would be an area where us as policymakers we need to find the kind of the low risk areas that balance that allow people to be sociable while still being relatively low risk. It's also an opportunity to implement other. Or to, to test other policy, things like ventilation, better ventilation in public areas, not outdoor public areas, but indoor, you know, public buildings. Is that a way that we can we can get back to say cafes and open the pubs quicker, et cetera? But I, I think you'd start off with with more basic things. So essential retail will come back, um, you know, school, childcare, whatever it is that can, can allow parents to, you know, a bit of peace to get out of their house, that kind of stuff. There's an element of balance there between the the science and the the kind of the human aspect of it. But then also, there's there's room for experimentation and doing a lot of the things that we didn't do properly. Principally, that's the point where you you implement a really good contact tracing system because that's the the kind of the um, that that's what carries a lot of uh, the the kind of the risk management. Once you get to a a zero COVID environment,
0: do we you're talking about risky behaviours and we have to have a hierarchy of risk? You we do the least risk. Do we actually know what is risky? I mean. We have seen, it seems to me, as, as shall we say, if you're going to be in kind, an evolution of understanding, or you could simply say a change. I, I was told for a period of time, schools were not a source, were not risky, supermarkets were not risky, no infections. Then I saw um, there was a report done for Public Health England, which uh, reported using data collated by the NHS, just talking about the, loci, the various loci of infection. It suggested from the data that, for example, bars were actually low risk, that the the three most risky places they identified were supermarkets, primary schools, and secondary schools. Now, I can understand perfectly well why keeping the schools open is a very, you know, it's it's a thing we, we, we want to do, and it's perhaps because of that, that the rules regarding what is considered a close contact in a school is different than it would be in a factory or in a family. In fact, the rules have been organized in such a way to make uh, being uh, locating a school as a source of infection quite difficult. And I understand that we want to keep schools open because without schools, everything is problematic. But is there a just is, is there generally agreement on what would be a, a risky? What is risky? Is it is it possible? Okay, discotheques full of people, sweaty people rubbing up and down against each other. That's risky. We saw from South Korea one guy going to ten gay bars, gay, gay bars, in in Seoul, basically reignited the thing that had to be clamped down on. But how risky are pubs with windows open and carrying out uh, decent social distancing? Is that more? Is that riskier than than a school? These
1: are. This is an example of 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 something. I mean, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and then I'll try and be more direct. If you don't have the virus, if you've gotten rid of the virus, these are questions that you don't have to ask yourself. You know, there's so many so many questions like, you know, the nine-year-old meals and guards and the guards in retail areas and in the you know the underwear aisle and all that kind of stuff. It's just like if you just eliminated the virus in the first place, we wouldn't have to ask ourselves any of these questions. Um, I find it I find it very hard to. I suppose in risk in general, there's, there's kind of two ways of looking at things. You can you reason yourself what, would, what you think would be risky. For example, you talk about bars and discotheques and stuff. They seem to be tailor-made for spreading the virus. Mm. And you can then go and, you can go and do the empirics yourself. You can just open up the bars. We could just forget about everything and just forget about all restrictions, let people do what they want to do, and then see who catches it and see who, um, see who gets infected, and then from there work out what is risky or what is not, but if you have to go to the point of finding out and then you find out, oh, actually it is risky. Well, then the damage is done by that point because all the people are affected. My perspective on it is that if if it involves a lot of people being together in close proximity to each other, it's going to be a risky environment. The more people you have around each other, the more risky it is. Um, I think there's been a bit of a cop out with schools because <laughs> because we've just accepted that, you know, if 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 we're going to continue, if we don't have an elimination plan, then the schools just kind of have to be open. And if we're just, if we're just going to tell ourselves that, well, maybe the risk isn't that bad or it's just kids and we, we just kind of convince ourselves that it's not that big an issue. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that schools aren't a vector for, for transmission. I really do. But I think we have just accepted that they have to be open. Um, but of course, if we weren't living with the virus and if we actually had an elimination plan and we just got rid of it, then these would be questions that we wouldn't need to ask ourselves.
0: So, you talked about a central part of this would have to be uh, for business. There have to be supports. Do you have? Has anybody done any numbers on this? I mean, what's this going to cost? This sounds like it could be. I mean, people say, "Oh, well, you have, you can't put the value on a life, and you, you 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 can't make it all about the economy." Well, you know what? You can. And if you know economy, then you're going to have no health service tomorrow if you know economy today. So we we have to try and work out. Are, are, are we going? Is this? A, are we going to commit suicide slowly rather than quickly, or vice versa? What? I mean, are there numbers on what this is going to cost? Is it? I mean, is this going to cost us just so much more? Yeah,
1: I don't. I, I think um, first of all, no. I we don't we don't have numbers. Um, we're looking for economists. I would love to talk to some economists who could run numbers on this. I'm not qualified to do it. If I could, I absolutely would. But. I find it hard to believe that a period, let's say, I mean, however, within the, the ISAG framework for, for how to eliminate the virus, the bulk of the work would be done within two months anyway, depending on how you, you, know, you, you structure it. But I find it very hard to believe that two months of going at this hard and getting it cleared would be more expensive than, you know, because once that's done, people start rolling off the, the PUP payment, uh, tax starts increasing again. So, you know, the, 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 the upfront cost of this, first of all, I, I, I can't believe it would be that much anyway and compared to where we are already because the PUP is going to go out. All these payments are going to go out anyway. You know, we're going to have to run tests. All our resources are going to be used anyway, just living with the virus. So I can't believe that if we front load some of those costs over a, a two month period and including, you know, acquiring a lot of resources, specifically testing resources from abroad, yeah, that would be an extra cost too. But it, part of it would be, first of all, I don't think it would be that much extra a cost. Secondly, it would, it would stimulate a certain amount of economic activity itself if we were paying hotels, guest houses, et cetera, for, uh, for the use of their, their premises for, um, as quarantine facilities. And then thirdly, once it's done, as I was saying, once it's done, the virus is gone, payments roll off, and then our, you know, our, pay, our, our economy and our finances start returning much more to normal. And I feel like by the end of the year, it will have more than paid for itself.
0: Okay, you, you mentioned using hotels as of quarantine facilities. So let's get a little bit more into what life looks like in, in Zero Ireland. We have instituted, how we get, cross Cross Mammy's version of total lockdown. We're proper lockdown. Then we introduce, te- uh, you say we introduce testing and tracing. So what, our, what You see, I I remember being told again that we were going to have this wonderful testing and tracing system. However, um, my experience has been we have no testing and tracing system at all. We have a system where, in my own experience, I'm staying with a a friend of mine, he gets a phone call, oh, by the way, I was sick last night, I think I might have it, I've been tested, I'm going to have to go for a test. 36... Hours later, the first person gets tested. I say, well, listen, can we all get tested? No, 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 no. The, the, if her test comes back four days later positive, then the first person can then apply. Other than that, he's not a contact. So he, then he waits. And then five days later, he comes back positive, at which point it's 10 days since the first thing. And I, I now can get tested. The Vietnamese, for example, were, were doing up to five levels of, five levels of contact testing at the beginning, and one of the reasons why Vietnam has been successful, why do, you, why do you think we would be capable of doing this, when up to now we patently obviously haven't been, and we don't have a testing system, why are you so confident we will be able to do effective testing? But it seems to me, without effective testing, we're stuck in this loop forever.
1: That is a, a a thought that creeps into my mind every now and <laughs> it's like, could we actually do this? Because I don't think there's no one part of this plan that is impossible or that is even you know unlikely. Every, every every single component of this that has to go right for this plan to work is eminently doable. We can totally do it. The problem is getting is doing everything and you know getting, getting to the other side and um yeah the the. You're absolutely right to, to to bring that up and to ask that question and, and to talk about, you know, with the Vietnamese, it's five levels. I think other countries, Taiwan is possibly just four. Um, first of all, I mean, look, we've been promised so many things. We were promised back in, in early February we'd have our, all our test results back in, in eight hours and, you know, we, we had all – everything was in place and everything would be fine. Um, I think with the, the the contact tracing, there needs to be a lot more research. Certainly, they're catching up. I know it was it was, I think – the contact tracing system is only going back 48 hours, which is completely useless. Uh, at the moment, it's being updated to seven days, so it would go back seven days, which is better, but you know, it really needs to go back 14 days, and it needs to have you know, those multiple layers, and it needs to have a structure in place where you know automatically, um, as, soon as, a, as soon as a case, as soon as there is a confirmed case, we immediately have that person's contacts mapped out. Immediately, so that we can, we're we're locking down those people rather than we're locking down the entire city or the entire town. Um, there are plenty of Taiwan being, you know, the the poster boys of, of poster boys and poster girls of of um, you know perfect uh, pandemic management. We can go and talk to them. Don't know why we have such trouble picking up the phone and talking to other governments who are really good at what they do in these areas. Same with New Zealand. Same with Australia. You know, we can do that research. We can get it together. But once the case numbers are so much smaller it will be a lot easier. It's, it's impossible now. With the amount of cases that we have, it's, it's just a, it's a fool's errand. I mean, it's just a waste of time even, even trying to do these things. I mean, yeah, we've got to pretend that we're doing them, but you know, there, are, there are so many better ways that we can do, and so we have so many more options. And I think once we get to the point where we are looking at zero case days, and it is you know, it's, it, it's much more realistic, then I think it'll seem like a much more manageable task at that point. But, yes, I am, and there's a little bit of faith in there that I've just got to trust that Irish people can, you know, break the break the duck and actually do something really competently and comprehensively.
0: Okay. Has this worked anywhere?
1: I think, um, so, I suppose you start with Taiwan, and you say, well, yeah, that's great, but, you know, they didn't let so much of the virus in, so it was a lot easier for
0: them. And also, Taiwan didn't go into lockdown. It was, I mean... Yeah. Re- they, the businesses kept going. They had lots of heavy in, on temperature controlling and, and good san, and good, good hygiene, et cetera, but they didn't really lock down at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, but they also... So, I suppose there's, there's one thing there. I mean, one of my rule of thumbs for this whole crisis is the better you do on international travel restrictions, the less you've got to do a lockdown. And yeah. that there's a, a pretty direct relationship between how well you do that, the prevention, versus mm-hmm. how much cure is required, which stands to reason. I think... Um, they had a lot of a lot of things were working in their favour as well. I mean, they had their um, they've much better border control, much better. They know when people are coming into the country where they're going. It was much easier for them to, to do all that stuff from the start. Um, but there are, I mean, there's there's structure there that we can learn from that we can take from. We may not be able to copy and paste directly, but there's stuff there to get engaged with. There's plenty of stuff in New Zealand as well, like New Zealand, where New Zealand made a load of mistakes. If you go back and look at what they actually did, they made lots of mistakes, which is encouraging in a way because for two reasons. One it means that you don't need to be 100% perfect. It's like, yeah, you need to be really good, you need to be really strict, but it's not like you need to be 100% perfect.
0: But the if other, I can, if I can be a grinchy bit, a bit grinchy yeah. about New Zealand, isn't New Zealand really the good news story that we were told? New Zealand is having, an, uh, admittedly at a low level, it's having its, its second wave. It, it, it isn't zero COVID. And it's also worth, I mean, I, I don't know if it means anything, but if you look at other results from around Oceania, uh if you look at the, the numbers are very low uh for papua new guinea for samoa uh vanuatu the the a lot of the islands in the south seas a lot of, uh, new zealand is a very different place it's a for a developed country in the west it's thousands of miles from everywhere else it's much easier to organize this kind of isolation okay the first thing that i think that would occur to anybody is f- f- from the point of view of imposing this is uh, other than other issues is we have a land border now How's, how if we if we do all of this and we're all terribly good but up there they don't and they're going around getting drunk and licking each other as i i do think that sometimes the government is afraid we will all do if we don't if we're not minded you know how surely that land border and the the, the fact that there is going to be human traffic trafficking of people will cross the bridge in in straban and go to work and things like that there is going that it's going to make it much more difficult for us t- to really have any kind of a real zero covid policy unless the people in the north are doing exactly the same thing
1: i i pull you up um on the exact same thing what i'd say with, with as far as if you if we go back to what you were, you were saying about new zealand um i think a lot of those islands uh, the Samoas and the tongas and, and what have you they they completely shut down travel um like total, land, total border closure, you know, early on. Yes,
0: and that's, that's true, no doubt. Okay. As they
1: needed to do. Um, with New Zealand, New Zealand still gets like one, like three or four times, I, I don't have the exact numbers from China, but, you know, many, many more times as many flights in from China, including direct flights from China as well as Australia as well. Um, so they were very much in, in the firing line and, and so they had their own problems, if you like, but once they blocked from China, that was a lot of kind of their problem solved in a way. And um, But yeah, the border. So I think... There's, there's two ways that I, I, I kind of think about the, the border. And, and the first is that, and this is, you know, uh, I guess a reflection of my, of the media in Ireland and, and my understanding and my perception of it is that there is just anything to do with the UK or anything north of the border is, is just regarded as it's a thing that's just there, you know, it's, it's like the border and the border is this code, this, this word that signifies all these other horrible, awful things that we can't even, mm-hmm. you know, imagine in our minds. For the most part, we have, you know, Dublin and Stormont have exactly the same goals, almost identical goals with regard to COVID-19. This is, this should be an apolitical solution. Um, and so, first of all, I I have to believe that if I, if I have a good idea, and I can, and I really think that it would be, be good for both us and for the North, that we can pick up the phone and, and at least start a conversation and talk to them. And rather than, than challenging ourselves to come up with a set of policies that are absolutely airtight and, and perfect, and that will will work regardless of what happens in the north. Like That's not possible. It's not even ideal or a good use of our time. And so first of all, let's recognize that we can actually pick up the phone and talk to these people, right? And that they will respond to sense. So we can stop just othering them. Um, the second point, and it's, it comes back to the, the framework that we talked about. At, at the start, I said it was a kind of a crude framework. From the crude point of view, you lock down the whole country and then gradually people people eliminate the virus and then you know the counties eliminate the virus and they create green zones we join them up together yada yada there's another option or another um, another way we could we could go with that strategy is to start with part of the country so you could take um a group of counties like as well the province is the easiest way to explain it It doesn't have to be a province there are different ways Mm. to do it but if you take a province like Connaught, which has historically had a very low incidence of the 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 virus if we could say we could start off with Connaught and do what I've just described. You know, we go, we create the bubbles around each of the counties, we lock down on we clear the virus, we flood it with testing resources. The more testing, especially rapid testing that we can do, the quicker we can clear out, we can, we can clear out the virus. You know, you could, you could quite realistically, within four to six weeks, you, you would have, a lot of those counties would be well into their streak of, of zero days. And if we could do that, if we'd started off with a proof of concept, if you like, I think it would be a lot easier to convince everyone, the entire country, not just the north, but also protesters in Dublin who have no interest in in hearing, uh, you know, anything about another lockdown. I I totally, I, I am totally compassionate with that. Um, but if we if we were able to, like I said, do a proof of concept, try this idea out in a certain area, if it goes well, great. We can take it on from there. If if it goes badly, I mean, look, if we can't do this, make this work in Connacht, we can't make it work in the rest of the country. So at least, at least there, there's an option for, for, um, for, for starting a
0: conversation. Some people are just sceptical about the, the doability of the thing in this, for this regard. From, the, from what we can see, around 80% of people with uh, COVID will be asymptomatic. Um, the 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 best best research we have, I think, from from the UK and from the states, says around seventy eight percent will be asymptomatic, and then another nine percent will have symptoms, but those will not be symptoms which would be regarded as typical of COVID. So you could say that that's why we sometimes see the number eighty seven percent asymptomatic, right? But would say it's eighty percent would fund have displaying no symptoms. Now we know that. Uh, the incubation period and the infectivity period can be up to 21 days. So you could have somebody in the population who is who's in, who, who can infect somebody who asympt- has no symptoms. We go into the lockdown, you, somebody who uh, at the end of this is infected but has no symptoms. That goes on for 15 days. They infect somebody else. And so it goes. It, you, could be, you could have transmission from three people and you're talking about 45 days, 50 days where there is, no, there is no COVID, we have no COVID, but it's still in the population. It's a nasty, secret-y, secretive little virus. It's a sleeping, it's, a, it's, a, it's hiding in the population. We think it's gone, but the reality is it is, and we don't, it's not even a question of having that we reopened the borders and we imported it. It was in the population all the time. It then reappears and you think, oh well, it, it is effectively impossible. To suppress, or at least by this point in our experience, at, the, at this point, uh, whatever we are x number of months into the pandemic, it's in the population now, and we're not going to get it out. That, that the length of time that we would have to be involved in this kind of lockdown would mean it would be simply impossible. It would be it would be impossible that we can't we can't wait it out it's the nature of the virus it will it will appear to be gone and then will reappear are i be is that is am i are we be over, overly overly admiring of the sneakiness of this virus
1: no 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 i mean that's absolutely that that's like the worst case scenario that's the, that's the the like the big fear and i think there's there's a few a few different things to to say with the asymptomatic i some people are still arguing over whether they're true asymptomatic or people just didn't notice the symptom or they weren't got at the right time, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to other people to, um, to argue over that. Um, I think what your question gets to is a, uh, it's, it's the classic problem in, in philosophy of, of proving the negative. Like you can't, you can't prove that the virus is gone. We can never, even if we, even if we, like, i believe i 'm completely confident that we absolutely can completely eradicate the virus. You can definitely get rid of it. The problem is you can 't know that you 've gotten rid of it, and that's that 's where the challenge is and that's where that 's where we have to keep on going on with all these measures and you know it 's one thing to implement a set of measures when you know that there definitely is a risk out there, mm-hmm. but it's when there isn't maybe there's a risk, maybe there isn't, and then we 're going to all this effort and then it 's like, well, you know the, the whole thing kind of falls apart. And you, go, you know what's the point um, what I'd say is there are a few ways of, of, um, of finding it in, in that or sorry, there are a few ways of, of kind of addressing that problem. One is, you, know, heavy, regular testing, making sure that the and with rapid tests, if you use rapid tests, like the PCR has been held up as this gold standard. but you know, even if a rapid test has only a 50 percent accuracy, you know if you repeat it day after day after day you know, after two days, it becomes 75% accurate. Three days, 87.5% accurate. So by using rapid, uh, cheap rapid testing, we mm-hmm. can get a much better idea of whether people are are um, transmitting it. Okay, then we still got the issue of, well, do asymptomatic people, can they transmit it? Can they not? Um, the second part of that is being very strict with the lockdown and keeping people separate as much as possible. So one example of something that you could do to stop that, that transmission that you were talking about of, this person pass it on to this person without us knowing is that within when we're within that that lockdown period that you take high-risk households would be you know ones with you know where you have four or five six seven people perhaps we can pay, take people out and put them into um, dedicated quarantine facilities like precautionarily take them out so that that has less opportunity that person to person to person um, has less opportunity to, to sustain itself but yeah it, 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 there is still we are dealing with an unknown and an unknowable. You know, it's not just a risk; it's like it's uncertainty. The you know the economist's distinction between risk and uncertainty. That yes, risk is measurable. Uncertainty is not. Yes, there is uncertainty there. There is unknowableness. We're facing into that, and that is, if if you like, if you want to call it a flaw in the plan, it's it's a flaw that's there. But you know, it, it was a flaw that was there in in New Zealand and in in Taiwan as well, and they they managed to go a hundred, two hundred days. And you, we I have just got. I've got to figure that that. They had actually eradicated it, you know, to, to be able to produce those kind of numbers.
0: But it's I suppose it's 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 in the box, and we don't know if it's dead or not. But that's just the nature of. I was going to say it's a Heisenberg. Uh, no, it's, Hi, it's Who's cat Schrodinger? It's Schrodinger. It's a Schrodinger virus. Yeah, it's a Schrodinger. Okay. Yeah. You you have you have mentioned. I feel unkindly, a, a, a little bit the uh, the comparison between the Finnegale and the Finfall lockdown. Is it not the case that the Finnegale lockdown? if we want to call it that, which happens at the beginning. And this is, I think, maybe a real a real problem for any new approach at this stage. Is It, it may be possible it, that zero COVID could work. Or should I say it may have been possible that it could have worked in February or March. But the reality is we're now in December. We had the first lockdown. We went through the summer. We're back. And one of the reasons if, that the second lockdown was different in character was because there was an awareness, and there is an awareness, shows that compliance is not where compliance was, and that your what your plan demands a very high level of compliance. I wonder at this stage if you're simply going to get that kind of compliance. Also, I just wanted: is this going to rely simply on everybody sitting down, having a chat, and saying, "Now let's all be sensible people," or are there going? Are you going to have to look at? Like you you're going to have have guards on on county borders you're going to have to have policing happening uh, are there going to be sanctions involved here? you know are we going to have financial sanctions criminal sanctions introduced in order to maintain this kind of lockdown or are you, are we going to ultimately have to say no, we can't do that. We're going to have to rely on the good sense and the good faith of the people where are we Where are we going there?
1: and maybe I'm idealistic or whatever, but I, I feel like Irish people, if there's a good plan and we know it's a good plan and it, there's a goal and it makes sense and it's, we've come to it fairly and the Irish people have been involved in it. It isn't being forced on them that Irish people will go for it. will 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 get behind that plan. But yeah, I, I feel like the, the, the goodwill, there's a lot of goodwill was burnt through this year and I feel like any plan, and this is a responsibility for me and for ISAG and for, for whoever who's got an idea, you have got to bring the people on on board with you and you have got to go out to them. Not not demand that they they follow you, but you've got to go to them and give them reasons why this will work, why their sacrifices will be worth it. Um, because however you do this, it will, you know, that first thing... Uh, Maybe it's a bit fair to call the f- <laughs> The on it. first lockdown anyway was, you know, 98% the people, you know, it, it was, you know, we did, we did all of it and um, we made it happen. And whatever the plan is, it can only happen, you know, with, with the people, the people are always going to be doing at least 50%. Now we can take the burden off them. we can take some of the burden off by structuring the plan in such a way that it, it minimizes the amount of time that they spend in lockdown. And so part of, part of that would be possibly doing it, region by region, so we do it chunk by chunk. Part of it means flooding the area, the, the places that we're clearing with medical resources, testing, nurses, doctors, everything, so that we can, we can, just, we can flood the area, so that we can, we can get them cleared as, as quickly as possible. Part of it would be, as I mentioned before, about talking to people, going to the, having citizens' assemblies, whatever way it is, talking to the local representatives, getting their feedback so that we know what their specific situation is, because we may be able to tailor the plan to that, we may be able to adjust it at the, at the local level. Um, other things would be like increasing the all unemployment benefits. Just increase them by fifty quid a week because, like, you're, you're, in a way, yes, you are paying these people to stay at home, but yeah, they're doing the work, so pay them to do it. It okay. will be so much worth it in, in in the long run. And another another point, which I'm, I'm, you know, it disappointed me that there has been, you know, that Verona Murphy was the only person, you know, we had one TD sacrifice any salary at all through this whole thing there's a whole other area that we could go into there, which I, I, you know, I don't want to go into. But there has to be a demonstration from policymakers that they've got skin in the game on this too, you know? that, they're, that they are making a sacrifice both in, in taking the time to come up with better policies. Because if you get policy right, if you get it right at the top, good policy at the top means good outcomes at the bottom. And if there's bad outcomes at the bottom, it means there's probably somebody screwing up at the top and, and that there needs to be the recognition that you know, policy so far has not been good enough. Over this whole year, it just hasn't been good enough. But if, if, if that does happen, if policymakers can do that, if they can put the right policies in place, if they can show the people that yeah, they really do care and that we really do have a plan here and it really could work, then the people will 100% get, I think they'll get behind it. But what we've had since, what we've had since, you know, May or whatever is, you know, there's, Tommy Tiernan has a joke about, um, about being in a pub in London and the fire alarm goes off and people start getting up and leaving the pub and he's looking around like, lads, <laughs> what are you doing? And then it goes on from there. I'll leave it to, to people to work it out the rest of it. but um. But it's so true. It's like unless we're absolutely sure that this is going to work, we don't do anything. And in part that's what cost us back in January and February because we just weren't sure that this was a risk, so we didn't do anything and it turned out it was a risk.
0: You you talk about we could and we'll flood the area with doctors, we'll flood the area with nurses, we'll we'll, we'll ramp up the testing. But will we? I mean, can we really? I mean, what has the HSE shown you so far to suggest that it is capable of executing a plan like this? Because if you've seen this, I'd like to know about it. Yeah,
1: I think um, this is not, as Dr. Ted Ross said in in early February, and I don't usually quote Dr. Ted Ross, but I feel like he was very right on this one. um, This is not a job for health ministries alone. This needs a whole of society response. And so this plan isn't going to be Paul Reed and his people at the HSC doing it. It's not going to be one, the Department of Health. It's not going to be one group of people. It's going to be everybody doing it at every resource, you know, that we can. It's a national emergency and it needs a national response. Wherever we can get those, those resources. So, but, but in terms of management, yeah, there would be, I guess there's going to be a lot that that's going to be riding on the the Department of Health. The government are going to be involved as well. We know, we know that people on the ground are going to be involved that, the people, by being, by being a part of the plan and by going along with the uh, the protocols, by going along with these measures, they're going to make it as easy as possible on the people who will, be, um, who will be actually, you know, administering the tests and whatnot. I mean, in terms of the tests like themselves, we can get resources from abroad. I am sure that if we went, call up Uncle Joe, I'm sure, you know, he's one of the most positive, pro-Irish US politicians in however long. I am sure that guy would be willing to be, to contribute, to be part of, a, a solution for ireland 's problem, we can get resources from abroad as far as you know locally, I feel like there 's so many people sitting around on the PUP who would much rather be contributing as volunteers in some way, some less skilled, some more skilled but yes ultimately it 's going to come down back to the, the question we raised before about whether we actually have the, the the competence to do these things. but number one, I trust that we can get it done, and number two you have to you have to do something you know you have to um, we're coming out of this. What there's a phrase: never let a crisis go to waste, right? And the idea is that you build within the crisis. You build the things that you need to build in order to pr- protect you from the next one. And a lot of the stuff that we need to protect us from the next one has not been built. We haven't even started. And so that has to happen at some point. Well, it may as well happen now. And even if we aren't a hundred percent, you know, even if we know that we're not, you know, we're not set up right now to that we know that we could be completely confident that we could do this, at least start and back ourselves that we can, you know, that we can kind of adjust on the fly and that we can, you know, that we can make it work. It is a bit optimistic, I guess, but, you know, it's the direction we have to go with.
0: Okay. You say you, we have to work towards the next one. And that's, that's great. That's true. But uh, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be nice. And I say, okay. Although I think that if it was going to, if we were going to go for zero COVID the best time to go for it would have been at the very beginning when you still had lots of goodwill and compliance and resources would have been, uh, the, the, the cost would have been much the sa- same as what the cost that we incurred anyway. Cost now maybe might be different, but then we say, okay, well then we go, look what happens in the summer here. The Italians have developed, not the Americans also, but the Italians have developed their own very fast, their own fast testing where you can get the results in 15 minutes on, which is less sensitive than the, the, one, the, the gold standard. But you know what? Turns out that being less sensitive may not be a bad thing because it, 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 it reflects infectivity rather than historical infection, perhaps. And the rates of accuracy of this test are pretty decent. Even if we wanted to buy them right now, we can't because if we'd looked to buy them or to get orders in six months, well, whenever, December, yeah. Five months ago, we might have been in a position to get some now fact is now, if you're looking to get the orders in for that, we're looking for July and August of next year before there will be a supply available. It has not, again and again, forward planning has not been best. So I think maybe optimistic. Oh, here's the thing. We're going to have the county bubbles, right? You talked about regions. Connacht, yeah. A region that has been histi- one of the more historically low rates of infectivity has been the southeast. Wexford, Waterford, Kilkenny, and Carlow, for whatever reasons. Have had lower rates than, say, Meath, Kildare, whatever. We saw during the summer when there was locked, when the lockdowns at various levels and people, when people's movement was restricted. We have a lot of people around this area who have second homes who are from Dublin, and they were coming over the mountain. They were sneaking over the mountain, and they would, and people would notice there are people in this house in that that house that were hadn't been there the night before. I would, and that, that was when there was a fair degree of, you know, cohesion about it. I, I are you, how are you going to stop people doing that next January and February?
1: Yeah, you, uh, it reminds me because you, you asked earlier about guards on borders and stuff. And um, I kind of didn't actually sidestep it, but I, 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 kind of emphasize that if, if you can get the, the adherence, then you don't need that enforcement so much. I think that at the same time, there does need to be, I, I don't know the current, not a, a constitutional or legal expert I don't know what the current situation is with regard to what fines or what controls can be put in place um, but yes I, I I feel like there would need to be some kind of an incentive structure there firstly that that is you know massively discouraged that there will be fines if people are caught that they will be held accountable in some way secondly, and I, I don't know I mean maybe this is just me, but there's a certain amount of Curtain twitching in society that is healthy, you know, and that, you know, people in the, in the, uh, there is, I, I, I give it, well, I give an example of my dad, uh, we, we were, dad was at home anyway uh, one night and we knew the neighbors were away and they had told us they were going to be away and he heard a funny noise and, and dad is a curtain twitcher, like he is nosy and stuff. But he, he went, he decided to go next door and, and went in the front door, walked yeah. through the house, couldn't see anything, came back out again, whatever. Anyway, when they came back, they realized that the um, back window had been broken and somebody had been trying to break in. So I would say there is a certain amount of, you know, this isn't, this isn't Soviet era, it's not Berlin and whatever, the, I don't know my history that well, what decade I should be quoting there for, you know, people snitching on each other and whatnot in, in you know, some sort of communist system. Like, but there is, a, there is a certain amount of, of, of fairness in saying, well, if you're in that situation, if you're one of the local people and someone from Dublin or wherever else, happens to come down and, and, you know, be where they shouldn't, then you are absolutely entitled to, to bring that to someone's attention and to an official's attention and know that it will be handled in, in some way. Um, you know, it, like to give you an example of the kind of strictness with, with some of these things, like people had, there were, when people came into New Zealand, New Zealand said, look, you're, you're, you're in quarantine for 14 days until you're cleared to go. If you break that quarantine in any way, you're going straight back into quarantine for 14 days and then we're sending you home. Right. That kind of strictness needs to be in there somewhere. And I think that's a case where, that, that's a very fair case where we can, you can look at someone and be like, yeah, no, we are punishing you this time. We've, you know, you were trusted, you broke that trust, and now there are consequences. The exact details of that, yeah. I mean, I have to hold my hands up and say, okay, I'm not, um, I'm not 100% on that.
0: Sure. But back in August, um, the independent scientific advocacy group Gave evidence uh, to the Dahl Committee, and I think it was the 13th of August. Uh, Professor, uh, I can't. God, his name escapes me. I have it was written it down. Tomas Ryan but or McConkey Staines? No, it wasn't McConkey. Maybe Anyway, he said there will be no vaccine in Ireland until June the 21st, June of 2021 at the earliest. Well. We're going. To, we're, we're going to see the rollout of the beginnings of the rollout of a vaccine in January. Now, I'm not blaming the guy for getting the. I'm not taking a cheap shot and saying, "Ah, you got it wrong by six months." Although, you know, because you know, people. I there were plenty of people back in the day who were saying, "Oh, it'll be 2022," and if we get a vaccine, you know, and there's no guarantees we'll be getting a vaccine. I put my five pound each way down and getting a vaccine, so I was cheering the vaccine on, even if for no other reason than I thought, you know couple of couple of quid in Pfizer would do me good. But does the presence of the vaccine, the arrival of the vaccine, that must in some sense impact on the on the plan, on the way that we look at
1: I I guess so the in terms of the arrival of the the vaccine, I guess it depends on what you mean by arrival. You know, the first one, a vaccine in Ireland, it's in Ireland even if it hasn't been administered, does that does that count? Um I guess I, I, I don't know who it was and I I uh I was not watching that particular Doyle uh, session. I, I do try to get as many as possible, but I think I might have missed that one. Um, I, I think you, I, you have to be realistic about when we say the vaccine, when is it going to arrive? I think what we all mean is the point where everybody pretty much is vaccinated and the vaccine no. is doing what it's supposed to No,
0: I'm not you saying are, that because... Even if we start, even if you're talking fifteen to twenty percent of the population has been vaccinated, that will start to have a significant effect on all, on the R rate and the communication. That's what the epidemiologists and the virologists say. I know, frankly, I think we're all epidemiologists and virologists, virologists now. <laughs> the kind of conversation you overhear are, fa- are absolutely fascinating. You feel like saying, "When we, did you take your? Was the PhD? Was it Trinity or UCD? But anyway, my understanding from the people I." Do, even twenty percent vaccination will have a significant impact on communication and infectivity and the r rate it, we're not we're talking about elimination long term from 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 the population in uh, here and globally that 's a different story that took i don 't know how long with polio but i think it was ten years or with, with smallpox it takes that takes a long time but to start to have an effect on the on the local population's test, it must feed into the into the equation that we're making regarding costs and balances and stuff. When we're we're saying that there should be, even by at this stage we're m- m- heading for mid-December, that by February, the end of February, you're going to start to see some some impact on the vaccination program, assuming our government has been the wise virgin and bought the right vaccines. Uh, not not invested. All the other vaccines that will come on stream in three years' time,
1: or or alternatively the Chinese or or Russian vaccines that are already out there right now, and, and you know, <laughs> yes. uh, which I, I might you know people ask will I be taking the vaccine? And I'm like, well, hmm, there's some of them I will. Um, <laughs> I think uh, from from what I can tell, Europe has got a, a little bit of a, of all of them, of of Johnson and Johnson, yeah, of, yeah, of
0: yeah, yeah, you know good. Pfizer and, and whatever else. Mix um, and match. I think he used to done stores used to they used to do a thing called mix and match until the the health people closed it down cause you. I think it's a bit like. Oh, of course, the hand. hands. Yeah. Yeah, I think they had fourteen fourteen billion vi- shots of various viruses. Oh, various viruses? <laughs> no, sorry. God, God, the plans out now. They found out about the great capitalist plan. <laughs> Give me Oliver. No, oh, I'll be taken out at the next meeting. No, the, the vaccines. They have a, a mixed bag of vaccines. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um... Yeah, they, they so and they're on different time frames as well. Like the the first the, the early ones, of Pfizer and I can't remember the other one that was like they started at the end of July, they started their phase three trial. Um and other ones only started in, in September, so they're gonna be kind of take a bit longer. just getting back to the the um the, the vaccine, I suppose when I think about it, I think about it in terms of how my life changes. And you would start to impact the the are not, I guess, in you know, maybe in, in February. I, I don't know the exact schedule of when the vaccine is, is kind of due to arrive. And equally, we don't need 100% of people vaccinated. Once we get to, you know, 80%, then that's, for this disease, seems to be around herd immunity, where, you know, the odd person might catch it, but you're not going to get an, an outbreak of it. Um, But that, as I understand it, as I see it, the actual meaningful changes to our lives, I don't see them happening until we get to a point where a large chunk of the population is vaccinated. And that still seems to me to be the second half of the year. I, 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 like we can talk about, you know, we can talk about something like or not, but it's like people really care about their lives and when their lives go back to normal, when they feel normal, when they have, the key thing is the uncertainty. You know, when you have, if it's three months, it's three months, if it's five months, it's five. But if you don't know how many months it is, then you can't negotiate, you can't negotiate contracts. You can't negotiate with your bank for, on interest payments, on rent payments and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm always looking at it from the point of view of like, well, when does the uncertainty go? And I, I, I still feel, and I'm again, I'm not an expert in, in virology or vaccines or any of this stuff. From what I've read, from how I understand it, it's still going to be the second half of the year before we, we really get to that point where we actually start to feel like, okay, that's, that's kind of behind us. That, that you know, The worst of, of all of that is behind us.
0: I absolutely take your point. I think uh, it's certainty is what markets look for. It's what human beings look for: predictability, if, if maybe if not certainty, a sense that they know where they're going to be. But is it the case that zero covert offers us that? I mean, when you read the documentation, when you read the proposals, one of the things that occurs is you see this phrase recurring: then after fifteen days, then after fifteen days, then after fifteen days, and it gives you a, a bit of a sense that actually it, it doesn't really give the certainty that initially you, 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 you think it might, that if anything breaks down in the, in the chain of transmission, if you like, if anything fa- fails on this production line, then we go back to the beginning and that you can't say to people, like one of the problems with, with the last lockdown was it started off. People said we're going to be two weeks and then it was four and then it was six weeks people get well and then they had to stop at six weeks because they couldn't go any farther because it became impossible is there actually are we actually talking really about giving people certainty or are we is it is it a slightly optimistic approximation of what you hope will be the outcome
1: yeah i i yeah i think that's fair i think um Certainty, you know, straight up certainty, no, but we, we, I think we can narrow, there is an assumption in there, yeah, that, that things will go well. There is also recognition if things go badly, then, or not if things go badly, things don't go as quickly if there are mistakes or whatever. Like if, if we go back to the example of, of taking conduct or as, as an area, again, not picking on conduct, not rewarding conduct, just no, no, because it's the easy, easiest one to deal with. Um, If it was slow, if there were like if if you start opening up and then you get a case again, well then the whole thing goes is paused, right? And then you have to contact trace. And then that's where, as you're as you're saying, there would some uncertainty would would start to build in there again. I I would want to be clear before we started this that there is a point where we say if this is not going to work, that we you say, right, there's like a break clause in this. And and that people know that there's a break clause. And I don't know how to, to specify that as such. But there has to be some point where people say, well, look, if this isn't working, it isn't working. And then we draw a line under it and say, right, we're done. What I would say, though, is that if you think about it in terms of, um, let's say a plan plan took two months. If we spent the the whole time that we spent doing that, at least it would be time spent trying to achieve something good, trying to achieve something beneficial. Mm -hmm. And in the process, we would be building infrastructure that we need, not just physical infrastructure, but, you know frameworks and, and skills and capabilities and tools specific tools to, to help prevent us to help protect us from the next one so what i would say is that like in a way i guess i am being a little bit blinkered and optimistic um about thinking that you know this will this will definitely work On the on the other hand it is a better use of our time i mean right now we're just you know, we're we're running around in circles right now. And it's like, well, you know, do we walk around in circles clockwise or do you walk anti-clockwise, you know? And yeah, it's like, yeah. well, at least if we walk in a straight line, do you know what I mean? Like we might actually get somewhere. And okay, there's an issue about do we walk in the right direction? But like, at least if we start walking in a straight line, we can, you know, we can adjust or we, we won't be so nauseous and, and dizzy and, and disoriented. So yeah, it, it's an absolutely, it's a fair criticism and like similar to the, the the criticism you made before about about not being um or questioned about, you know what if it's hiding somewhere absolutely that is a that that's a um something that we can't resolve perfectly or solve analytically
0: okay listen I, I want to take i want to draw this down i don't want to take too much of your time so the fact is as lay people we, we consume news we, we we look at information we try and understand what we're understanding we see different professors on television who are perfectly Wonderfully con- credentialed people. We have the great Barrington statement, and then we have Professor Sam uh, McConkey, and this very same. Very, I'm sure they're speaking in good faith. I'm sure these people are saying what they believe to be true, and are passionately because they want the best outcomes for everybody. so they people. So it's it's, and this is a new thing. We can't be expected to get it right first time, and that would be enormously lucky. It would be the first time in history, of humanity. But you said your your background was in risk. Right. I'm not talking here about, say, uh, the Swedish option, which um, it seems even except the most ardent Sweden people seem to be backing away from now. It doesn't seem to have quite worked out as it had been hoped. I'm sure people of good faith hoped it would work. Why wouldn't you? You want your things to work for people. But say, for example, we look at the situation. Okay, sooner or we now have some kind of a time frame for the arrival of a vaccine. And we say what we're going to do is we're going to uh, we're going to identify we're going to t- we're going to look at the risk analytically to this. We're going to take those people who are at risk. We look. We have fair amount of data now about lethality rates. We're going to cocoon those people. We're going to protect those. Those people are going to go into the effect effectively into hard lockdown, you know. But they're going to be supported. There are going to be systems in place to support them in that. And we're going to we're looking at the fact that, say, for people under the age of eighteen, this virus is less is less lethal than X, Y, or Z, and you're more likely to die of being struck by lightning than by, by. Now, of course, the reality there is, as we know. If you happen to be the loved person, the loved one of someone who dies who is 15, the statistics are not uh, a great comfort. But I suppose the point I'd I, I make on this is that if we published in a normal flu season the numbers of people every day on the news that that day or that week died of flu, then people would become obsessed with flu. If we look simply for the point of view of risk, if we combine a vaccine with a properly supported cocooning system and then Shall we say, graduate maintaining issues around social distancing, maintaining proper hygiene care, using, our better understanding regarding ventilation, using, uh, for example, infra- the, the 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 systems using light now, is it ultraviolet light in in air cleaning systems to clear create virus free spaces, that that would, from the risk point of view, be at least as viable a, a way to go as to go for complete zero?
1: I, first of all, I, I, I wish I'd heard, I've gone to look for it a bit, but there hasn't been a huge amount from, or at least that I'm aware of anyway, from the great Barrington crowd, if you like, about how, the, the real details of how this would work in practice. And to be honest, you could throw the same suggestion at us. No, That's why I'm, I'm here talking, today.
0: But, so I'm, I'm so not I'm talking like, about a Barrington approach. Okay. Necessary. And I'm not talking about a, a let rip. But we'd say maybe a variation on a theme, but something like that. But it is the case that the risk to the population varies enormously according to age and to pre-existing condition. Okay. Shouldn't we look at the possibility of, of trying to build a system based around that risk, that risk profile rather than treating the population uniformly?
1: I guess that there's I suppose there's a couple of things one you know a small point would be can can we really separate these people um but you know there are there are parts of what I'm suggesting that you've correctly pointed out well you know you're 100 sure that you can do that but so okay so let's say you you could separate those you know the the most vulnerable people um the the second point would be around COVID syndrome and long COVID if you like um which I, you know, I'm 35, I'm, I'm not, I have no interest in just going out there. Like I'm single as well. Like I should be out there. You know, I should have, I love the, you know, great, I should be out there having pints now. I'm here talking to you. I'd much, i much rather be here. You know, I, I don't care what the, you know, you, we can put whatever restrictions we want out there. Like I'm keeping myself alive um, and I have no interest in that, that thing whatsoever. Um, and long COVID is itself, it, it brings in a, its uncertainty again because we don't have solid numbers on, on that and we don't have a solid True. protocol for it, you know? Um, yeah. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty there too. Um, I, I, I guess then the third point is like you're combining the vaccine. The vaccine still is, is kind of an unknown as well because we don't know on when it's going to come and what numbers it's going to come, how we can distribute it. So we're still kind of left with that much more uncertainty there. Um, and I, yeah, I, I I wonder, I wonder whether when you have a lot of people, even if we, we, we take out the people who are definitely vulnerable and you just say kind of, okay, we have kind of sensible precautions in place. And a lot of people are are out there. A lot of people are still responding to risk averse people. People like me are are responding to the number of cases out there. And when people see a thousand case day, I think that's very that's very startling for people and they naturally withdraw and you know it doesn't matter if the shops are open i don't think they're going out there there's a lot of people who just aren't going out there when they see a thousand case day even if you've got more granular data on your local area people are just gonna they're gonna wait it out um and so i i that approach uh, on the one hand i don't know how again i i don't uh, i understand that it's not exactly the, the the great barrington approach but um those rough kind of approaches where you say let's just kind of try to manage this better they seem to be a little bit self-defeating in a way and that in the short run yeah you get a good response but then once the numbers start taking up people make that that response and then they, they with they reduce their activity which then reduces their commercial activity so then mm-hmm. you know the, the businesses are kind of back to where they were before and, and, and feels a bit self-defeating and then the alternative is that you just solve the problem, which is as simple as you know flicking a switch, as I'm as I'm explaining here. But you know, um, I, I feel like that's if I'm going to aspire to anything, I, I'd rather I'd rather work on something that is you know that, that that is aspirational and that could you know unite the nation, unite both nations.
0: Listen, Dermot, thanks a million for talking to us. It's um, Rob. Um, I think I get Gary. Uh, I'll ask Gary. Will put a link in to, uh, on, on the, when we put, put this up to, I think you have a website, do you have a website? Yep, is.covid19.org. So
1: we'll, yep,
0: yeah. we'll put a link up to that, so anybody who wants to have a look at your the arguments, have a look at the the, 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 the proposals and the, and the data that you have, they can go there and have a look at it and see and, and form their, their own opinion. But uh, listen, you're staying in, I'm staying in. Listen, I'm, I'm fat and over 50 and I have asthma. So it, it's coming for me. I stopped shaking hands in February. People were looking yeah. at me, but I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm not I'm touching not <laughs> you. So absolutely, I, 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 underst- I understand your, your position. But, you know, we're all just, I suppose, trying to do our best. And if we can conduct a little bit more Conversations like this kind of thing, not just for this, but generally speaking, I think that we would be better off anyway, so that people could actually just come to a conclusion. It's been really great talking to you. I'd like to thank you again for your time. And uh, I'd like to thank our audience for having joined us today. We will be back soon. Uh, Until then, stay safe.